This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode 210, entitled, Jesus' Misunderstood Ascension, in John chapter 7. Now, if you're listening to this on YouTube, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, and if at the end of this episode you enjoy it, please be sure to give it a thumbs up so that it will help spread this particular episode to other interested persons. Now, we are in the midst of a great series of studies looking very closely at the theme of misunderstanding in the Gospel of John. We began this study back in episode 204, if you'd like to go back and begin from its inception. Now, the plan is to look at all of the major instances of misunderstanding in the fourth gospel, which all deal in some shape or form with the true identity of Jesus. Now, as you will likely recall, the theme of misunderstanding in the gospel of John appears like this. First, Jesus makes an ambiguous statement. Second, the conversation partner misunderstands what Jesus said, either by interpreting it literally or by asking an inappropriate question. Third, either Jesus or the narrator explains what Jesus meant, although sometimes his explanation is missing, but clearly implied. This week's episode will look at the misunderstanding in John chapter 7, which involves Jesus speaking about going somewhere that he cannot be pursued by the authorities. What does Jesus mean with this enigmatic statement? How was Jesus misunderstood by the Jews? Is the misunderstanding confused on more than one level, perhaps misunderstanding the identity of the one who sent Jesus as well? And how do the crowds who actually do believe upon Jesus confess him in light of their understanding of Jesus' words and deeds. Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at Jesus' departure misunderstood. We'll be reading out of John chapter 7, and I'm starting in verse 28. Please follow along. Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me, and know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, When the Christ comes, 
He will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priest and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore Jesus said, For a little while longer I am with you, then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me, and will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. The Jews then said to one another, Where does this man intend to go, that we will not find him? He is not intending to go to the Disparian among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What is this statement that he said, You will seek me, and will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? That's John chapter 7, verses 28 through 36. And I think this is a very interesting account. Jesus begins by saying that the one who sent him is true. And we know later from the Gospel of John in chapter 17 and verse 3 that the one who sent Jesus is the only true God, namely the Father. Jesus doesn't identify him as the Father here but the informed reader is going to make that connection. The passage also talks about Jesus' hour, his hour. His hour had not yet come, and his hour refers to the climactic moment of Jesus' salvific death. Now, many do believe in Jesus, and this particular belief, it's important to note, is described as believing that he is the Christ. To believe in Jesus is to believe that he is the Christ, the anointed king. They are not believers because they believe that Jesus is God. They believed in Jesus and they confessed him to be the Christ. That is the true intention of believing in Jesus. Now the officers are sent to seize Jesus and Jesus responds by speaking about a time that they will seek him and not be able to find him. So let's look a little bit more closely at what Jesus said and how it was misunderstood by the Jews. This moves us to our second point. Point number two, examining the theme of misunderstanding involving Jesus' departure. So we noted that the theme of misunderstanding has three steps. The first step is that Jesus makes an ambiguous statement. We can see Jesus making the ambiguous statement in verses 33 through 34. Let me repeat those verses. Therefore Jesus said, For a little while longer I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me. And where I am you cannot come. So Jesus makes the ambiguous statement in verses 33 through 34. And Jesus states here that he is going to him who sent me. Him, of course, is a singular pronoun referring to the Father. The Father is the one who sent Jesus. And more specifically, according to the theology that we have from John chapter 1, the Father sent his personified utterance, his personified speech, the Logos, which was embodied in the human Jesus as the Word became flesh. 
So there is a sending and, of course, a commissioning with Jesus' mission. The second part of the theme of misunderstanding involves the conversation partner misunderstanding what Jesus said, either by interpreting it literally or asking an appropriate question. In our present passage, the misunderstanding occurs in verses 35 through 36. Let me reread that section. The Jews then said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? He is not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What is this statement that he said, You will seek me and will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? That's verses 35 through 36 in John chapter 7. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that their misunderstanding is twofold. They misunderstand two particular aspects that overlap. First, they misunderstand the destination. They think that Jesus is going beyond their reach geographically. They think that Jesus is going into the diaspora. They think that he's going outside of Palestine, that he's going to teach Greeks, he's going to teach non-Jews, and they think that where Jesus is going to where they cannot come is that Jesus is going somewhere very far geographically. They, of course, misunderstand Jesus from the perspective of destination. Now, they also misunderstand Jesus in that they misunderstand the identity of him who sent Jesus. Now hear me out. If Jesus is the Messiah, then God has sent and commissioned Jesus. So to go where God is located is to go to heaven. It is for Jesus to ascend to heaven as his intended location. Now, as you can see, by the Jews misunderstanding the identity of him who sent Jesus, they also misunderstand where Jesus is going. And by misunderstanding the identity of him who sent Jesus, they fail to recognize that Jesus is the Christ, God's Messiah. So remember, Jesus said that I'm going to him who sent me. They don't know who sent Jesus. Jesus just stated that the one who sent him is true. He didn't say it was the Father. Jesus obviously means he refers to God the Father. But if they had recognized that the one who sent Jesus actually is God, then it would legitimate Jesus' claim to be the Messiah, and thereby they would believe in him. So the misunderstanding on the part of the Jews, which are the characteristic persons in the narrative who are not convinced by Jesus' claim, their misunderstanding is twofold. They misunderstand the destination, and they misunderstand the identity of him who sent Jesus. Now the third part of the theme of misunderstanding in the Gospel of John is that either Jesus or the narrator is going to explain the statement. Now I've noted that sometimes explanation is missing. In this occurrence, 
in John chapter 7 is one of the places to where the explanation is missing. But I think it's clearly implied. The reader of the Gospel of John is a reader that is a believer, a reader that is already convinced of the Christian faith, and they know that Jesus died, was buried, he was raised from the dead, and that he has ascended to the Father's right hand. Jesus, of course, talks about this in John 20, 17, that he's going to ascend to my Father, your Father, my God, and your God. So the informed reader already knows that Jesus is speaking of his glorification. That's the location to which Jesus is going, the location that his pursuers are not able to go. So it's very interesting that Jesus is going to heaven and you cannot follow him meaning that the readers are not going to go to heaven because Jesus is coming out of heaven to consummate the kingdom on this earth. Let's move us to our third and final point, which is the Christological implications to Jesus' speech in John chapter 7. So I think it's best to continue reading in the narrative to see how the narrative unfolds and how the crowds understand what Jesus just said. So the next passage is verse 37 out of John chapter 7. Read along with me. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, but this he spoke of the Spirit, which those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, This certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, This is the Christ. Still others were saying, Surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees and said to him, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. It's John chapter 7, verses 37 through 46. And so we can see that after Jesus made his statement about going to him who sent him, going to a place where he cannot be pursued, he continues to speak on the last day of the feast, and there is a disagreement, a Christological disagreement, and the crowds are offering a variety of answers of how they perceive Jesus. They are offering their own Christology. The first thing that is offered is that Jesus is the prophet. And this is not any old prophet. This is the prophet, specifically the prophet from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. Now the prophet has already been introduced as a character in John chapter 1 and in John chapter 4. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist is asked if he is the prophet, and John the Baptist says no. 
And in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman perceives Jesus to be the prophet, and that is affirmed, although the passage goes on to say that Jesus is more than that particular prophet. But it is affirmed that Jesus is the prophet from Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. Now, in that particular passage, the prophet is described with some very interesting characteristics. The prophet is raised up from among Moses' countrymen, meaning that the prophet is a human being and that he is an Israelite. The prophet is not Yahweh, and the prophet is not a heavenly angel. The prophet is someone from among Moses' countrymen. He is an Israelite. The prophet is also someone distinguished from Yahweh. He is not Yahweh. He is distinguished from Yahweh. He would never be confused with Israel's God. Now, the prophet specifically is a prophet because, according to Deuteronomy 18, Yahweh is going to put his words into the prophet's mouth. So the prophet is going to speak Yahweh's words in a very important way. And, of course, this makes the prophet the embodiment of God's word, the embodiment of God's speech. And this, of course, fits in the theology of John's gospel because Jesus is the embodiment of God's word. He is the embodiment of God's creative utterance and creative speech. He is the word made flesh. Deuteronomy 18 also says the prophet is going to speak in Yahweh's name, meaning that the prophet is going to have the authority of Yahweh. Yahweh is going to invest the prerogative of his authority into this human prophet, this Israelite spokesman. Now, confessing Jesus as the prophet is true, but it's not enough to confess Jesus as the prophet. You also have to confess Jesus as the Messiah. So the next thing that the crowds describe is that they think that Jesus is the Christ. Some among them actually think that Jesus is the Christ. What is Christ? Well, Christ is the title for the anointed king. Anointed. If Jesus is the anointed king, the next logical question is, anointed by whom? Well, Jesus was anointed by God. And so if God anointed Jesus, then Jesus is distinguished from God. And according to the purpose statement in the fourth gospel, in John chapter 20, verse 31, Confessing Jesus as the Christ is the intended goal of the narrative. So these crowds that are confessing Jesus the Christ, they think that Jesus is the Messiah, God's anointed king of the kingdom. That is a true confession. That is what the narrative wants you to conclude. Then there's a question about the origins of the Christ. Does the Christ come from Galilee? That is a question. Now, at an early age, Jesus actually relocated from Bethlehem to Galilee, where he was raised. And Galilee has no particular messianic significance tied to it, so it actually raised questions. If we know that Jesus lived in Galilee, is that something of significance? Christ is not supposed to come from Galilee. So there were some questions pertaining to some sort of expectation as to where the Messiah would come from. And they knew that the Messiah was not supposed to come from Galilee. 
but they perceive that Jesus did come from Galilee, even though Jesus' ultimate origins are from Bethlehem. And then, of course, you could say that Jesus has come from God in the sense of the personified utterance of God that has become flesh. But then the conversation moves to saying that Scripture says that the Messiah is supposed to be a descendant of David and he's supposed to come from Bethlehem. And this is really important because by saying that Scripture says this, it's not that they are offering just an explanation that could be right or wrong. By saying Scripture says something, it's intended in the Gospel of John as something that's authoritative. Scripture is something that's supposed to be fulfilled. It's not something that's supposed to be disregarded or ignored. Jesus has just spoken about Scripture saying something about waters and waters of life. And that's meant to be interpreted authoritatively. So when these crowds are citing Scripture saying that the Messiah is supposed to come as a descendant of David and from Bethlehem, then that's something that's supposed to be interpreted in the narrative as something that is true. That's what the narrator wants the reader to believe and understand. So, of course, the Messiah is a descendant of David, meaning that he is a lineal descendant of David's genealogical line. He is a human being. He is a descendant of David, meaning he is an Israelite. Now, they're alluding to the passage from Micah chapter 2 which talks about Bethlehem as the origin of the Davidic king. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, it says, As for you, Bethlehem Epathra, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. In this passage we could see that someone from the clan of Judah is going to come forth. He's going to be a lineal descendant of Judah. We know that David came from Judah. So we have Judah descending all the way down to David and descending all the way down to Jesus. Okay, This ruler is going to be a lineal descendant of David and Judah. And we can see that he's going to be ruler in Israel, meaning he's going to be king. He's going to be the king of Israel, which in Jewish Messianism, means that he is the Messiah. And then a few verses later, in Micah chapter 5, verse 4, we learn a little bit more about this ruler who's going to come from Bethlehem, who's going to descend from the genealogical lines of Judah. It says that he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of Yahweh, in the majesty of the name of Yahweh, his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. That's Micah chapter 5 verse 4. And so we can see a little bit more about this Israelite ruler that is supposed to come from Bethlehem. That's supposed to descend from the lines of Judah and David. We see that he's going to bear the prerogative of Yahweh's strength. He's going to shepherd the flock in the strength of Yahweh. Yahweh is going to lend his own strength to this Israelite ruler. We also see that he's going to bear the prerogative of the name of Yahweh. It says in Micah 5.4 that 
this ruler is going to shepherd the flock in the majesty of the name of Yahweh. So he's going to bear Yahweh's name. Not that he is Yahweh, but Yahweh is going to share his own name with this Israelite human being, this Israelite ruler. Of course, Yahweh is going to be his God. It says that he's going to have the majesty of the name of Yahweh, his God. This, of course, distinguishes the king from Yahweh. Yahweh is the king's God. And, of course, he will be great. Now, when the officers came back to the chief priest and the Pharisees, they called him a man. They called him a human being. We can see this in verse 46. Never has a man spoken the way that this man speaks. And he uses the Greek noun anthropos. He is a human being. And the Gospel of John actually calls Jesus a human being more than Matthew, Mark, and Luke do combined. More than Matthew, Mark, and Luke do combined. It's very clear that the Gospel of John wants the reader to understand Jesus as a human being, as a man, as a legitimate member of the human race. That is how Jesus perceived, and the Gospel of John does nothing to alter that perception. In fact, even in John chapter 8, Jesus himself calls himself a man, a human being. So Jesus has been called the prophet. He has been called the Christ. He has been called a ruler. He has been called a descendant of David. And he's been called a human being. But you know what? He has not, in this narrative, been confessed as God. Nor has Jesus been confessed as a heavenly angel. In fact, no one confessed Jesus to be God among these people who claimed to be believers. No one thought that he was an angel from heaven. None of these options were even considered among the crowds whom the narrator described as believers. And yet, the narrator has been very keen to give the different options of varying degrees of correctness regarding Jesus' identity. He's the prophet, the Christ, the descendant of David, the person that is coming from Bethlehem. But not a single person thought that Jesus was claiming to be God, nor claiming to be a heavenly angel. They did regard him as a human being. And on that point, there was no disagreement among those persons in the crowds or among those that disagree with Jesus, the Jews. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Join us next week as we look at the many misunderstandings in John chapter 8, which is the chapter with the highest concentration of instances of the theme of misunderstanding in the Gospel of John. So you're not going to want to miss these next episodes. Please look forward to our next episode, which will be episode 211. Now, if you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the sound truths of the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. If you're listening on YouTube, please consider subscribing and liking and sharing this episode. And if you'd like to offer a donation, you may check out the episode's description for a link to PayPal. 
The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please take care.